you. Well, anyway, we are fine. We are fine. We're very active. Uh, I'm on staff half-time at another church. I finished up 20 years at Sunrise Baptist, and now I'm on staff, or I should say Linda and I are both, because she's very active too, at Northwest Baptist Church in Bellingham. And uh, it's our privilege to continue to minister, and we've been looking forward to coming here and having the opportunity to see some older friends, 30 years older, and uh, reconnect a bit. And so uh, we're thankful for the opportunity. 150 years. That's quite an anniversary, isn't it? Uh, When I was in high school here, maybe I was in grade school, maybe junior high. Anyway, Vancouver celebrated what they called at that time a Sanaqua, which is a century and a quarter. And uh, probably you know, Fort Van Century and a quarter of Fort Vancouver. And after Fort Vancouver was founded, then probably another 40 years, 50 years, this church was founded. And just think of what it was like back then. Uh, dirt roads, uh, paths through the woods. And uh, this church got started. And uh, this church has functioned well for lots and lots of years. You think back of the tremendous number of people who have been touched one way or another by this church. Thousands of lives. Uh, This church is still preaching the Bible. Uh, In the last 150 years, a lot of churches have gone down the drain uh, spiritually, uh, gone down the drain in terms of their ministry, their message, and so on. And Brush Prairie Baptist Church is right on track. You can praise God for that. It's a great thing. And that holds out the prospects of a great future. I'd also like to compliment the worship band. Bunch of good-looking kids making good music. Isn't that good? I hope you all appreciate it. And I'm sure there's some old duffers here that, you know, they wish they were singing the hymns. Now, a little bit of encouragement. You need to... You need to look at the last psalm in the Bible where it talks about praising God with clashing cymbals. And uh, so it can be done. It may not sound right to you, but it can be done. Hopefully there's a good mix of hymns and uh, contemporary music. I'm sure there is. Anyway, today I want to talk about the beautiful bride. The beautiful bride. And a very simple idea, and that is that beauty attracts. Uh, Beautiful bride. Just kind of draws your attention. So does a beautiful mountain. Uh, We live up in Whatcom County. On a clear day, you see uh, Mount Baker. And then kind of around the corner, there's Mount Shuxon. And from the main roads in Whatcom County, you see the the sisters. Beautiful. I almost drive off the road on occasion. I'm just drawn to that beauty. As a matter of fact, when we drive along, uh, I just sometimes have to tell Linda, you look or else I will. And she worries if I look. Beautiful clouds on the way down. Uh, I commented to Linda about 
the beautiful clouds that we saw. Beauty attracts. Beautiful painting. A beautiful horse. I saw a picture just yesterday of George Washington kneeling in prayer at Valley Forge, and uh, he's kneeling. It's a classic painting. And behind him is his horse. Beautiful horse. Beauty attracts, and so on. So today, a very simple idea, and that is that beauty attracts. In Scripture, the universal church is seen as the bride of Christ. The universal church is seen as the bride of Christ and as individuals and as churches collectively, we are asked to contribute to her beauty. Now, the bride is a theme found in the New Testament, but it was found in the Old Testament as well. Uh, Jehovah and Israel, their relationship was described in several places as a bride and a groom. Uh, God says in... uh, Jeremiah 3, verse 14. He says, return. The people had been rebellious. He says, return, for I am your husband. And again, in uh, that same book, I was a husband to them. Uh, Jesus and the church are seen as the bridegroom and the bride. Uh, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom on several occasions. Uh, There are parables that are built on that idea. You remember the the wise and the foolish young ladies, some of whom had oil for their lamps and others that ran out. Well, the whole story had to do with being prepared because the bridegroom is coming. Jesus sees himself that way. Now, the Apostle Paul uses the same analogy of the bridegroom and the bride uh, for, the, for Christ and the church and the relationship between. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. In other words, I really care about this thing. For I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, we have the, the analogy of Christ and the church being the background story to a husband and a wife. And then he gets down to the end of that and he says, this mystery is great, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so this idea of a beautiful bride is found in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Today, each believer and each local church seen as a part of the bride of Christ. And the fact is, as the Holy Spirit brings about inner beauty in us as individuals, the local church becomes beautiful. This God-given beauty has an attractive force. We're attracted to beauty. People are attracted to beautiful churches. It has an attractive force, and God uses it to draw others to himself. And the personal challenge here for me and for all of us is, do I contribute to the beauty of this local church? And there has to have been, down through the years, a beauty to Brush Prairie Baptist Church. It's undoubtedly gone through its ups and downs, but this church is still here. It's functioning. 
God has blessed this church. There are people here who've been changed. They've been made like Christ. There's been a beauty here that continues to attract people. The question today is how does the local church become beautiful? And sadly, some churches are, are ugly. You remember the warning to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. He says to that church, you're not, whole, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just lukewarm. I wish you were either hot or cold. If you were hot, you could accomplish something. If you were cold, maybe you could all get saved. But uh, you're in between, you're nothing. And he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. That's obviously wasn't a beautiful church. You think of the troubled church in Corinth. Uh, you read First and Second Corinthians, and there's a, a list as long as your arm of sins that were impacting that church. Some really horrible things characterized that church. It wasn't a pretty church. There were good people in it, certainly. But there were a lot of people that, that made that church ugly. How beautiful from God's perspective is a, a liberal church today that maybe 50 or 150 years ago preached the word, was committed to the deity of Christ. Now they doubt or deny the inspiration of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the deity of Christ. They're caught up in supporting abortion and homosexuality. What must that look like from God's point of view? Do you ever marvel at the patience of God? I sometimes wonder, does he ever long for some way just to end the relationship? I think of an older couple, never got along. The wife was very cantankerous. And they were again arguing as they made a large withdrawal at a bank. And just about as the wife was winning the argument about this money, uh, a, a robber came in and uh, pulled his gun, and as he got the money from the teller, his mask fell off. And he turned to the teller and said, uh, did you see my face? The teller said, yes, and the robber shot him to death. He turned to the old man and said, did you see my face? And the old man says, no, sir, I didn't, but I believe my wife did. <laughs> He'd probably been looking for a way out of that deal for some time. <laughs> there it was. Think God ever feels that way? Aren't we amazed at the patience of God that he puts up with people like us? Must break his heart to see some churches. There's no beauty. But the good news is some local churches have a God-given inner beauty, and thus they attract people. I think of the way that uh, Harold Marsh contributed to the beauty of this church. Some of you would have no idea who Harold Marsh was. Uh, we met him. He was probably in his mid-70s when we met him 30 years ago. And uh, 
as I look back, he was a beautiful person. God had worked in his life and worked through him to touch the lives of other people. And uh, Harold had a, a group of widow ladies that depended upon him. He was their handyman. And uh, I remember Harold telling one story. He woke up in the middle of the night, phone was ringing, and one of these widows was, phone, was saying, there's blood, there's blood all over the place, blood. And so he dressed fast and ran over to her house, and uh, she spoke with an accent. What she was really saying is, there's a flood, there's a flood all over. And a valve underneath her sink had broken in the kitchen. And so he reached up there, turned it off, and said, I'll be back in the morning. <laughs> he was a beautiful person. Uh, he tended to these, I think they were four or five widows that just phone Harold. He'll fix it, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> I remember one time we were kidding him that he ought to marry Doris. And uh, Doris was a very soft-spoken lady. You could hardly hear her a lot of times. And uh, we said, well, Harold, you ought to just marry Doris. And he said, marry Doris and spend the rest of my life going, what? What? <laughs> Well, Harold was one of those persons that in his day was a bright light at this church, a beautiful person, because God had worked in his heart and just made him that way. And that's the challenge for all of us. Do I help make this church a beautiful place? Well, God's plan is to make beautiful churches comprised of beautiful people. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, uh, we read that the church begins really in eternity past as God chooses people. He chose us in him before the foundation of the earth that we should be holy and blameless. That has to do with our character. That has to do with people not being able to find fault with us. Holy and blameless people. Now, that was God's plan from eternity past. Then, then in Ephesians 5, we pick up the idea that the church, the beautiful church, comes into being through salvation and sanctification with the goal of final glorification. Uh, in verse 27, we read that the church is washed and made radiant without spot or wrinkle, blameless. The church this church, individuals within it, the universal church ultimately becomes this perfect, beautiful bride. And then in Revelation chapter 17, we read that the beautiful bride finally arrives in heaven. The church is the bride of Christ, and it says the bride has made herself ready. Fine linens, bright and clean, are the righteous acts of the church. And so here's a process that starts in eternity past. It's carried out through time. It's finally culminated in glory someday as the church, beautiful, is presented to Christ. Now, the question is, how is the church transformed into a thing of beauty? Bringing delight to God and attracting sinners. How does this happen? Well, the secret to inner beauty in churches is that of individual members who are responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit. 
as this church, Brushbury Baptist Church, becomes more and more beautiful, the reason for it is, is because you as individuals have said yes, yes, yes to God the Holy Spirit as he seeks to change you. You see, as believers love and obey the Holy Spirit, they become beautiful. And thus they make the local church beautiful and attractive. It's amazing. Talk about ugly ducklings being changed into beautiful swans. Sinners become saints. And it's happened to many people here. We knew a lot of beautiful people 30-some years ago. And uh, some of them are still here. I can look out and I can see people who 30-some years ago were beautiful people, used of God to attract people to himself. And undoubtedly, there are many more. You see, the Holy Spirit transforms people and thus makes churches beautiful. Now, today we want to look at two works of the Holy Spirit that makes the church beautiful. First is that of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. God's in the business of creating those things in the hearts and lives of willing people and thus making them more beautiful. And then we want to talk about spiritual gifts, God-given abilities and natural abilities as well that can be used to bless those around us. And you combine these two together and you have beautiful people. And enough beautiful people collected together in one place make a beautiful church. And God uses that beauty to attract people to himself. Now, first of all, then, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in the hearts and lives of willing believers and thus transforms people in the local church. We need to recognize that God calls for a changed lifestyle. You trust the Lord and you are the way you are at that point. God wills to begin a work in your heart and life to make you into a different person. Think of the word conversion. You know, when were you converted? Well, my conversion happened on such and such a date. What in the world does conversion mean? Well, it means change. You are one thing and then you become something else. And this conversion process goes on throughout your lifetime. You think of it, you're converted from being a self-centered, grumpy person to somebody who thinks of others and positive in their attitude. That's conversion. There is the conversion that changes you from a rebel against God to a child of God. But then that conversion keeps going on. We're to be changed as we go through life. Several times in Scripture, Paul says an awful lot about putting off the old and putting on the new. God wants to change us. The question then is, are you different? Have you changed? Or are you still a baby, still needing milk? Uh, Think about it. That's cute, isn't it? But would you want that baby still on the bottle at 43? That's not cute. That's not cute. But there were some people like that. Take your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
And you remember Paul is writing people. He'd been in their midst about five years before that. And uh, he had taught them. And he writes back five years later and says, uh, you guys haven't grown up. You're still on the bottle. You see, God wants us to change. He wants us to grow, to mature, to become different people, to become better people, to become beautiful. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Now, that was five years ago, and that was just fine. You know, they were all baby Christians, so he fed them milk. They weren't ready for the meat of the word. And that was just fine. The problem is that they still just require milk. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, for you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? And so on. See, they'd failed to grow up. <laughs> they were still on the bottle five years later. They should have grown. And I need to have that same mindset that God wants me always moving forward. I'm afraid in churches today, there's a real emphasis on uh, forgiveness of sins. And that's a good thing. But our goal needs to be not just to praise God that whatever I do, he'll forgive it so I can do whatever I want to do because he'll forgive it. And that kind of is an endless thing. There needs to be the goal of moving past all that, growing up, becoming mature, so that less and less and less we find ourselves having to ask God's forgiveness for doing something that we've been doing for years. We're supposed to move forward. We're supposed to move on. We're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to become beautiful. Look at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Paul's at this time, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, he's making quite an argument. It's an argument that starts in chapter 1 and goes all the way through to chapter 11. Uh, fabulous argument, but it's kind of complicated in places. And he gets to a place in his argument where he wants to say something, but then it dawns on him, eh, these people aren't going to get it. So he doesn't say it. But he tells them why he doesn't say it. He says uh, in verse 11 of chapter 5 of Hebrews, he says, We have much more to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. For anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So Paul's dealing with an audience that just hadn't grown up. There are things he'd like to tell them, but they're not ready for it. They're still on the bottle. And Paul's saying, that's not good. In Galatians, 
Galatians chapter 5, we have the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, making individuals and churches beautiful. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Here we have the uh, deeds of the flesh listed for us. The deeds of the sinful nature are obvious. This is verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 19. But the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That whole list would have applied some way or another to the church in Corinth. Uh, They weren't growing. (laughs) They weren't beautiful. Uh, It just wasn't happening there. But there's a way out of this. We read in 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, if God is allowed to be active... In our lives, here's the way he's going to change us. Now, if you look at the deeds of the flesh and you think of a group that's characterized by those things, that'd be a pretty ugly group. But if you look at the fruit of the Spirit and a group characterized by those things, that's a beautiful group. Notice what it says, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow. Imagine a group. Imagine individuals that are just like that. They're going to be people magnets. God can use those people to draw people to himself. And imagine a church that's characterized by that sort of thing. God can use it to attract people to himself. The key to it all is found in verse 16. We have the ugly stuff, verse 19. We have the nice stuff in verse 22. Verse 16 gives us the key. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. Live every day under the control of the Holy Spirit. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So how are we transformed? When we're sensitive to God the Holy Spirit. And as he speaks to us day by day, we always say yes. God works through his word. He works through our conscience. He works as we associate with other Christians. He works as we come to church on Sunday and hear the word preached. He works as we set aside time every single day to read his word, to pray. God the Holy Spirit is there. He's working. And he's wanting to nudge us away from the deeds of the flesh. And in their place, he wants to establish, bring to blossom and fruiting the fruit of the Spirit. And in the process, we're changed. We become beautiful people. And if enough people in a local church do that, it becomes a beautiful church. And God uses that beauty to attract people 
to himself. You see, responsiveness to the urging of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for those who want to change. We're warned in Ephesians chapter 5, don't quench the Holy Spirit. He's trying to change us. Don't put him out, sort of like you quench a fire by putting water on it. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't shut him down. If he's urging you to change, do it. Don't shut him down. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, don't grieve or disappoint the Holy Spirit. He wants to make you a better person. He's got all the resources. He can do it. He can make it happen. And if it doesn't happen, it must certainly be a disappointment to the Holy Spirit. Now, a certain fact is that believers and churches that exhibit love attract people to Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Christ told his disciples to love as I loved you. And then he said, the world will know that you're my disciples. He's saying, if within local clusters of Christians there's that love, love that's just like the love Christ exhibits towards us, a real, intense, positive, wonderful love, if it's there, people on the outside will know that you're my disciples. And then he talks about unity. He says in chapter 17, he prays that all of his disciples might be unified. And it's interesting, he says, I'm not praying just for these disciples who are gathered around me as I pray, but I'm praying for those who will believe through their word. He's praying for generations yet to come, even for us, that we may be one, that there might be unity. And the unity is characterized as being as intense as the unity between God the Father and God the Son. Now that's pretty intense. That's the kind of unity he wants in a body like this. And he says, when that happens, the world may know that you, the Father, sent me, the Son, to be the Savior. Beauty attracts. People who love each other attract. People who are together, rather than fighting and splitting and dividing and so on, they attract. God uses it. Now, secondly, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to believers. And these gifts in action make the church beautiful. He talks about it in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Look at 1 Peter 4 with me. 1 Peter chapter 4. He's talking about spiritual gifts and how they're supposed to function within a body. It's really an interesting passage. He says in verse 8 and following of 1 Peter chapter 4, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, that's great advice for a bunch of people like us who aren't quite perfect. If there's love, we can get along with each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. It's talking about spiritual gifts. And we can certainly add natural gifts. They're God-given as well. 
They're to be used for his glory, just like spiritual gifts are. So whatever you have, if it's any good at all, it's come from God. Each one of us should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts at work. I think back of a couple of more beautiful people. I could name lots of people. A lot of you here. If this was a two-hour sermon, I'd certainly mention a lot of people here. But I think of uh, Jim and Bertha. Uh, They were custodians back 30 years ago when we arrived. And uh, I don't know where they are. Are they here by any chance? Someone was pointing. Jim? Bertha? Okay. Well, anyway, they were beautiful people. They really were. Jim was a disabled police officer, and uh, Bertha worked at night in some buildings in Portland doing custodial work, and they were the custodians here at Brush Prairie. One of the things we noticed right away when we came here is that after a meal like a potluck, the people here for the most part would just get up and walk out because we've got custodians that will clean up the mess. And you know, Jim and Bertha did that with a positive attitude. We changed that whole practice before I left, but I was amazed at their humility, their positive attitude, their willingness to serve also found out one way or another they were major contributors to the church. They had a vision of who God was, what he expected of them, that was bigger than perhaps the lack of respect they had for a time here at the church. Beautiful people. They had an idea of who they were in God's sight. And they served. They had the gift of helps. Beautiful people. That's what God does. Are you part of this grand picture? Are you becoming mature? Are you using your gifts for the glory of God? Do you help the church's reputation? Do you contribute to the beauty of this church? I think of Pastor Clarence and Bessie Lowen. Uh, Wonderful, dear people. He's a retired pastor. He and his wife were active here. But uh, beautiful people. They love God. They love people. They were like people magnets. They just lit up every situation they were in. Beautiful people, and God used them. Well, today we've considered the wonder of a church that functions to its fullest potential. A church that uh, exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. A church where spiritual gifts are discovered and put to work. People becoming better people. Gone are the deeds of the flesh and in their place, the fruit of the Spirit. People discovering and using their spiritual gifts and their natural abilities for the glory of God. 
soon a church filled with good people who are active, who are involved, who are bound together by love. And the church becomes beautiful and attracts the attention of those outside the church. Beautiful Christians and beautiful churches result from a true work of God in willing hearts and minds. You think about it. Ephesians 1 tells us that we were chosen in eternity past, that we should become holy and blameless. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that Christ cleansed her, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Revelation chapter 19 says, And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. What's the result? Well, a local church that's a witness, that's a proof of the gospel, that's an attraction to the watching world. And it all makes sense when you think about it. It all makes sense. Believers having discovered reality, made beautiful, made useful, offer it to their friends and neighbors. You know, if Christianity has worked for me, if God has been allowed to change my life so that I'm better and life works better, I'm going to want to tell people about it. People want to spread the news about the Savior who changed them. It makes sense even at a mouse level. <laughs> We'd like to talk to you about Jesus. And you see, if God has been allowed to change your life, you want to talk to other people about Jesus. My prayer for this church is 150 more good years. A beautiful church attracting people to the Savior. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for 150 years of ministry here. In the process, many people who become truly beautiful people people that you've seen fit to use to draw people to yourself. And thank you that this church has an attractive force because it's a message about people who are changed, lives that are changed, eternal directions changed from heaven to from hell to heaven. And Lord, thank you for this church. And I pray your blessing on it. I pray your blessing on the leadership of the church, the pastors of this church. I praise you for the, for the youth worship team, for their commitment to you. Lord, bless this church. Strengthen this church. May it go on for a long, long time as a bright witness for you. This we pray in the name of the Savior. Amen.